0: Amen. Be turning your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 7. I want to preach for a few moments this morning on this thought of Jesus. There's just something about that name. Jesus, there's just something about that name. As we're looking through the study of Hebrews on the best is yet to come, um, we find in Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 22, it says, For by so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And so we see that Jesus, there is just something about His name. I want to read verses 1 through 10. If you're able this morning, stand with us for the reading of God's Word. If you're able, Hebrews chapter 7. We'll read this passage of Scripture together. The Bible says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being first, or first being translated, King of Righteousness. Then also King of Salem, meaning King of Peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from the brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes, from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you in prayer this morning. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit might meet with us for these next few moments. Lord, may you open our eyes to the, uh, Lord, the vast depths of the mysteries of your word. Lord, may you encourage our hearts to live for you. Lord, may you reveal more of who you are to us, and God, may you convict us of sin, and Lord, any error in our thoughts or deeds. Father, we love you and we'll praise you for what you do. In Christ's name we ask these things, amen. You may be seated. This morning we see here in this first passage of Scripture that the writer of Hebrews is dealing with this man by the name of Melchizedek. There are much thought about him, whether some will say that this is Christ himself and I really think that is more of a, uh, some say a Christophany, Christ in the Old Testament. But really, I think from reading Scripture, you'll find that Melchizedek was a real man that lived and existed. Um, he was one who had met Abraham as Abraham was returning from uh, a battle. And and the Bible says that Abraham tithed a 10% to him. But there are two titles given him who was... Uh, Melchizedek, who was a man who held two offices, he was both king and priest, and uh, he is really the only one apart from the Lord Jesus Christ in Scripture who also holds the office of king and priest, and of course we know that Jesus Christ is the high priest forever, and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Here we find that uh, Melchizedek has two titles that have been given to him. The first is the king of righteousness, and the second is also the king of Salem, or the king of peace. This Salem is, comes from the, the word Jerusalem, uh, Salem being the king of peace. And many say that he was the first king uh, in, the, in the Old Testament of Israel. Uh, of Jerusalem, there, and he was the king of peace. But I want to look first off at a righteous king, that uh, this Melchizedek was a righteous king. He was a righteous king and although many people look at him and say uh, so much so that he resembled the Lord Jesus Christ in his office and his characteristics in his life that the Bible even goes on to say that he was a man without father and mother and uh, neither has beginning of days nor end of days and he was made like the Son of God, made like Christ. So Melchizedek, we find that he lived so much like Jesus Christ himself that even today, thousands and thousands of years later, that Bible scholars and men look at this, and they still mistake Melchizedek, the man, for Jesus Christ. What a testimony that people would say, listen, he is so much like Christ that after we've seen him, we've read of him, we've studied him, that we might say, wow, I wonder, was that the very son of God? himself, he was so much like him. That is the life that you and I should live. We should live our lives in such a way that when the world sees us, they wonder, wow, was that person? They must know Christ. They are a Christian. They are a believer because their life resembles Jesus Christ itself. Imagine checking in with your favorite news source only to discover that the officials in Dubai Dubai, Are looking for you in connection with a murder and they're not seeking someone with your name who or who vaguely matches your appearance they want you specifically you know this because they published images of your passport except it isn't quite right that's not your picture or your signature or your date of birth but the rest is spot-on Now imagine the murder in which you were implicated is the assassination of Hamas chief Muhammad Al Mubah. This was a situation faced in 2010 by 26 Westerners living in Israel, including Australian citizen Nicole McCabe. He was six months pregnant at the time and probably needed all the sleep that she was about to lose thinking about the death squads bent on payback. An intelligent expert told the Herald Sun of Victoria, Australia that the Israeli intelligence agency, Mossad, um, prefers to use real identities as cover for its agents. They saw the large number of foreigners living in Israel as a perfect source and so they had access to all their uh, passports and they used that to carry out their missions overseas. It was a perfect imitation but it was not the individual. Yet it was so realistic that Hamas had placed a desk wad on the track of taking care of these people who had made the assassination. Talk about a fearful day. There was an imitation, and we find here that that's kind of in a much different scenario, but similar to what happened with Melchizedek. He was not Christ, but his life was lived in such a way that he was mistaken to be Jesus Christ himself, the King of Righteousness. I wonder what it is that made him that way. And we see that he was pleasing to God. He lived to God in such a way that was righteous and holy. He pleased God, this Melchizedek did, and therefore he was called the righteous king. He lived pleasing to God. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ, he is the one that is righteous and that who is holy and upright, but you and I should live in such a way that our lives are pleasing to God that when this world looks at us, they see Jesus Christ through your testimony. What does the world see when they see you, when they look at you, not just from the outward appearance of the flesh, but when they examine your life, when they begin to see how you live, how you talk, how you walk, how you react, do they see the love of Jesus Christ in your life? Pleasing to God. A righteous king who said, listen, I will do right. I will be so much so that he was called the righteous king because he lived a life that reflected the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. He was pleasing to God. Then also we see here that the Bible says that he was the king of peace or he was a promoter of peace. He was a promoter of peace in israel there is a term that you probably know shalom and it simply means the same word salem where it's derived from and it means peace whether they see you coming or going their word is shalom peace peace to you have peace yet we find in the day and age in which you and i live that this world is searching for peace are they not We live in a day and age where everyone wants peace. Uh, There is distractions, there is heartache, there is hurt, there is loss, there is fearful things. There are circumstances in life that rip us to the core. And this world wants peace. Yet Melchizedek was such a person that he says that he was the king of peace. He brought peace just as Jesus Christ is the king of peace. This world is seeking peace, but wars remain. Religion is offering peace, but cannot deliver. They can offer rules and rituals at best with religion. The communities of transgenderism and and, and LGBTQ communities, they are seeking peace, yet uh, statistics tell us that 40% of all transgenders attempt suicide at some point. They are seeking peace, but peace is not to be found in this world. Yet we have here Melchizedek, he was called the king of peace because he sought peace. He sought to promote peace. He sought to bring peace into a world where there was no peace. This may not have been a title that he gave himself, but rather those who would visit Jerusalem during the time when Melchizedek reigned, they would leave leave saying, he is the king of peace. He is the promoter of peace. He is bringing peace to a turbulent world the king of priests. How can the world see Jesus if we do not express, express the peace of God in our lives? When life hits and it will, when cancer grips our bodies, when we suffer loss, the peace of God must remain in our lives. So that the world may look at us and say, I see Jesus in their life. I don't want to put them on the spot this morning, but I was speaking with Jonathan yesterday and talking about what all is going on with Brother David. And Jonathan said, Preacher, I can't explain it, but I just have a peace. That's the peace that God brings. And when we have that peace in God, when our faith is strong and we're holding on, we're clinging to the cross, when we can cling on to nothing else, when our faith is in Christ, then the world can look at us and say, they have been with Christ. We find here that there was the king of righteousness. Second of all, I want to look at this, the prevailing priest. Look at me now in verse number 11. The Bible says, Therefore, if perfection we were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not being called according to the order of Aaron? Verse number 14 says, For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. If you're familiar with the Old Testament law, you understand that in the Old Testament, that to be a priest, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. You had to be of the tribe of Levi. And yet we find in Scripture that Jesus Christ is our priest. He is the high priest. But he was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We know that Christ was from Judah. And so the Bible says he was not a priest after the order of Aaron. He was after a priest after the order of Melchizedek that predated the Mosaic law of Aaron. And, and the Levitical priesthood. Jesus Christ was a prevailing priest in that he prevailed above what this world had set as a standard and what God had, listen, there is a set of rules, but Christ was greater than the law. He was greater than it we find that in the old testament we read here that there was the the ties that were given and matter of fact the bible says that levi even gave tithes to melchizedek because he was still within abraham his father's loins and so we find that even uh, the bible says technically even levi himself tithed unto melchizedek because his order was perfect in perfection and so jesus christ was above the order of the levites he was above all he prevailed against the rules of that time i won't go this morning into dealing with this gifts of tithes and offerings but you will find in scripture that it is commanded for god's children to give and to give to the ministry of the local church i'm not here to preach on giving this morning but I do believe that as a believer, as a child of God, if you are not giving to God through his local church, you are robbing God and you are robbing yourself of the blessings of God. That's why in Sunday school, as a young child, we were taught to give maybe a quarter, maybe a nickel, but we were taught every week to bring our gifts to Sunday school so that as we progressed, as a teenager, we brought dollars. And as adults, we want to be taught that we should give. And every member of our church should be giving to the Lord. Uh, But what we find here is that Christ was... The tithes were given to Melchizedek, but Jesus Christ prevailed against the law of the time. Seven-year-old Glenn Cunningham was responsible uh, for starting the fire each morning to warm his schoolhouse in 1917. But when Glenn, uh, but unknown to Glenn, someone had accidentally put gasoline instead of kerosene in the can, which he used to start the fire. The stove exploded and Glenn's legs were badly burned to the point that the doctors recommended his legs be amputated. Glenn's mother refused, but Glenn's legs were badly deformed and destined to never walk again, so the doctor said. But not for Glenn Cunningham. Days upon days, he would drag himself over to the family's split rail fence and force his legs to walk he not only learned to walk but he also learned to run in fact Glenn Cunningham became an Olympic silver medalist in 1936 and set a record for running the mile in 1938 clocked at four minutes and six seconds Glenn said I will not allow my circumstances to dictate my future and Christ, being God in the flesh, said, Listen, it's not about what I was born into. It's about what God has, the Father has planned for me to do in my life. And Jesus Christ is our example of what it means to be an overcomer John chapter 16 verse 33 says these things have i spoken to you that in me you may have peace in this world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world jesus christ is our prevailing uh priest he is the overcomer He is the story of an overcomer. He was born without beauty, Isaiah says, or comeliness. He was born of the wrong tribe. He was born of obscurity in Nazareth. His life was threatened by the king, and his parents had to hide in Egypt. But his earthly heritage could not hold him back. His family lineage could not restrain him. He had a mission from God the Father, and Jesus Christ overcame the world. The Bible says he is our overcomer. He's the master of the law. As we saw earlier, he was above the law. He was not held by the lineage of the, uh, the Levitical priesthood, but he was above it. He was the master of the law. He said, I didn't come to uh, do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And all of the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ the law meant to show us that no one can live perfectly, that no one was above sin and without sin and so it was meant as a schoolmaster to show us our need but Christ came along and he fulfilled the law. He did what no one else could do. He lived from the very birth all the way up to his death and he was without sin. He knew no sin. He completed the law. He fulfilled it so that he might be able to hang upon the cross and shed his blood for you and I, he is the master of the law. Look with me in verse number 15. The Bible says, and it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life, Jesus Christ. He's a prevailing priest because he is master of the law, but also because he has power of endless life. He is one that death could not defeat. He prevailed even over death itself. There's a lot of things that you and I may battle in life and may be able to overcome. We can overcome many obstacles in life. We can overcome financial depravity and poor neighborhoods. We can overcome a bad home life, and there are many people who have done that who have had a poor home life yet have gone on to be very successful. Like Glenn Cunningham, we may be able to overcome health issues and burn deformed legs to be an Olympic runner, and and we have overcome many things, but we cannot overcome death. We cannot overcome the law. We cannot live in sinless perfection and death is finality for every one of us. We have no power of ourself to overcome the grave. It's permanent and it's out of our hands. And yet the two things that are uh, uncontrollable for you and I, Jesus Christ mastered and overcame both of them. He overcame the law. He lived to the fulfillment of the law. But also he has power of endless life. Life itself is Jesus Christ. He is the giver of life. You cannot take away life from life giver himself the one whose breath breathed in nostrils, the breath of life. The Bible says in Genesis, and man became a living soul. The very breath within him is life itself. How can you take away that life? He has power of endless life. He is our prevailing peace, priest. He has overcome all things, and through him we also may overcome. But thirdly, we see... That he is a powerful Savior. Look at me in chapter 7, verse number 22. Again it says, by so much more Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Drop down to verse number 25, it says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus Christ lives to intercede on our behalf. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as those high priests who offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself he is a powerful savior the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful and in the Old Testament there was the priest after the order of Aaron they had to come in and they had to offer up sacrifices daily and and with the seasons and yearly there was continual sacrifices that had to be offered but when Jesus Christ came on the scene and he shed his blood there upon Calvary he, he is such a powerful Savior that when he shed his blood once and for all for eternity it was shed that sin to be done away with, he is a powerful Savior. The Bible here in verse number 26 lists about five things that I want to look at just momentarily. And then I'll be done this morning. First off, we see the Bible says for such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy. Holy. This word holy simply means to be faithful to every command of God. The Bible says, be you holy for I am holy. And so God is commanding us that you and I would be faithful to every command of God. And so we should. There is uh, no excuse we should be faithful to God's word. We strive for holiness. But we have not obtained perfection. Oh, I desire to be faithful to every command of God. But I fall short. He was holy, though. He was faithful to every command. There's not one dot of the law that Christ was not faithful to. He observed the law in fulfillment. He was holy to every command of God. Now some of the law he had to clarify because man had added to the law what God never intended, but he was faithful to the law. Second of all, we see this next word. It says faithful or holy, but then it says harmless. Harmless. This word harmless literally means free from guilt. Free from guilt. Jesus Christ was, as he was holy, he was faithful to every command of God. But also there was nothing he did that was in uh, in contradiction to the law. He was harmless. He was free from guilt of sin. He knew no sin. He did everything the law said you must do and he did nothing that it said you can't do. He was without guilt. Boy, I don't like guilt. I hate guilt. Guilt's uncomfortable, is it not? I'm sorry sounds real easy, but it's hard to say sometimes, isn't it? Yet Jesus Christ never had to say I'm sorry. Didn't have to. He was without guilt. He was harmless. Then, here we see the next word said he was holy, harmless, and undefiled. This word undefiled literally means innocent, without stain from sin. So we see really it's a lot of these words are kind of attacking the same subject from different angles. He was holy. He was faithful. He was harmless. He was free from guilt. He was innocent. He was without stain. We see here that the, 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 the power of Christ was in the perfection of Jesus Christ. That He was able to accomplish what we were not. He was without the stain from sin. I wish that I was without sin stains, but I'm not. And whether you'll admit it or not this morning, you're not either. But Christ was without sin. Then we see here it says, separate from sinners. Separate from sinners. Literally, this means not the same as or set apart. He, he was not the same as sinners. He was not like you or I. He was in the flesh, but he was not like you and I in the sense that we are sinners, we are guilty. He was innocent before God. Completely innocent. There was nothing could be thrown at him, no accusation that could stick. He was innocent, uh, and he was separated from sinners. He was set apart from the very his very birth, there was something different about Christ. He was separated from sinners. Oh, he was human like we are, and he was a person. He was God, fully God. But he was 100% flesh. He was in the flesh like you and I are, but he was not the same as you and I in that we sin. He was tempted by sin, but he was not tempted to sin. You say, what, what's the difference there, preacher? I mean, sin, opportunity... To sin was presented him. But he never entertained it. You see, sin starts in the heart, it starts in the mind. And it grows from there to it comes out in our actions and our deeds. But it never started in the heart of Christ. Oh, the opportunity was presented. Just like Satan, when he was in the wilderness, tempted him three times saying, "Uh, listen, if you'll bow before me, uh, I'll give you all the nations. Just bow. He was tempted to sin, or by sin. He was never tempted to sin. He was separate from sinners. But then there's a last characteristic here. It says, separate from sinners, in the last part of verse number 26, and has become higher than the heavens. Higher than the heavens. It's saying, listen, he was exalted above all things. A powerful Savior. The whole world, he holds it all in his hands. He spoke and the depths and the great expanses of our universe appeared at the sound of his voice. And yet he himself is exalted above all things. What a powerful Savior. We worry and fear and dread and fret over things that we cannot control we look at life and we look at circumstances and we say listen this is too great it is impossible but i want you to know what is impossible for you and i is nothing for god because even he himself is exalted above the heavens he is a powerful savior He's Savior enough to forgive us of our sins, no matter how great or how small. He is capable and able and stands willing and ready to forgive us of our sins, the Bible says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's a powerful Savior. It doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter our circumstances. It doesn't matter the hurt we felt. It does not matter uh, what guilt we have carried. It does not matter about anything. What matters today is that Jesus Christ is a savior who is Lord of all, who has poured his blood out on Calvary and has died for your sins and stands ready with open arms saying, if you'll but come to me, I'll take away the pain the hurt of the past I'll wash away the sins and I'll give you new life and hope in me he's a powerful savior say pastor but you don't know the things that I've said you don't know the things that I've uttered towards God because of a broken heart no I don't know but I know this he loves you and his ways are so much higher than our ways maybe we can't forgive ourselves but Christ stands ready to forgive because he's a Savior who is so holy so harmless, so innocent, so separate from you and I, and exalted so high that when he looks down upon us, he sees us all as the nobodies that we are, and yet he loves us anyways. And what he says is, come all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This morning, would you come to him? Every head bowed every eye closed, no one looking around. Jesus, there's just something about that name. There's something about it this morning. I wonder if you would stand with us now, every bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're able, stand with us this morning. As Sister Kay begins to play I wonder what it is that we're dealing with in your heart. This morning, I wonder if maybe you've been carrying weights of sin and past, hurt, guilt. This morning, Jesus said, Come and take my yoke. Learn of me. This morning, would you come and say, Lord, I'm tired of carrying the burden and guilt. God, I want you to take my load. This morning, if that's you, would you come? We have people ready to talk with you. If God has spoke to your heart, would you come? I wonder this morning with no one looking around, if you would say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I want to go to heaven, but I just don't know. Do you know this morning? He wants you to know. He wants you to know. This morning, if you do not know that heaven's your home, that Christ is your Savior, I want to give an the invitation, the opportunity to come forward. Would love to talk with you. Maybe you say, "Preacher, I'd love to," but I, I'm not going in front of people. That's all right right now where you're sitting this morning where you're standing would you pray lord god i know that i'm a sinner god i know i deserve hell i'm unworthy but god i give my life to you lord would you take me would you forgive me of my sins would you wash away my past and cover me in the blood of christ This morning as we began to sing, if God has spoken to your heart, would you come?